0: Welcome to Fucked Up Bedtime Stories for Adults. Strange Stories for Stranger Times. We recommend you listen on headphones and check the content warnings in the show descriptions. Enjoy. The Factory by Kwame Owusu. Performed by Jamal Westman. The world's on fire. Temperatures rising. Costs rising. Cruelty rising. We've had enough. We've had enough, Jeremiah thinks breathes, breathes in the noise of this protest, his voice melding with 500 others. The skies turn black and the moon takes up the sky. They surge forwards, ceaseless, shapeless, underneath the dark, crying fury. Furious at a nation of dawn raids, arrests secret trials, death State terrorising civilians, civil liberties eroding, hopes rotting, collateral and scattered, out of sight and forgotten. Their protest reaches fever pitch as it ripples and stops. Their chants ring, scream, rattle through the air towards the mass of black boots and battens lining up in front of them armoured, hungry. Their shouts grow louder as the mass grows larger. He scans the line, shouting from his soul. But a thick haze fills his lungs. He starts coughing, he can't stop coughing, he can't breathe as the air mutates oxygen to tear gas. The whites of his eyes turn scarlet. The mass charges, black boots collide with bone. He looks to his left and watches two gloved hands come out of nowhere, out of the dark. Grab this teenage boy and throw him to the ground. The boy struggles, he's fighting, he kicks out hard. They slam the edge of the riot shield into his jaw, Once, twice, they grab him, those around him, and throw them through the back of vans along the roadside. Jeremiah hunts for a way out. Police! Don't move! Hands above your fucking head! A van pulls up. Officers jump out, put a hood down hard over his eyes. He feels the sharp plastic of a cable tie around his wrists, twisted tight behind his back. They grab his body and force him through the van's gaping cold metal mouth, placing him down hard on the bench, bolted to the wall. The mouth slams shut and the van takes off. He can't see a thing. And the more he struggles, the tighter the cable tie gets. Cutting hard into his flesh, he tries to swallow. He's squashed firm in between two warm bodies, trying to figure out how many of them there are. Six. Maybe six. The only person making noise is whoever's sat opposite him, breathing heavily in and out. Jeremiah strains to listen closer, trying to visualize them through the heavy dark. It sounds like they're close to panic. The van judders over bumps in the road and the walls rattle. The van accelerates, picks up speed. The man, breathing heavily, starts begging. Pleading. Please, can I just can I just take the hood off my head? I, th- I think I'm going to have a, a panic attack. I, I, I can't stay like this. Please, I, I just need this offer. He's silenced halfway through his sentence by the dull crack of something hard and heavy against his skull. Jeremiah stays stock still, just watches the man's body crumple sideways in his mind's eye. Everyone in the van starts to panic. The woman sat next to him starts crying Hot tears scarring train tracks down her cheeks The van picks up speed further It judders, the walls rattle His body tenses tighter The van takes a sharp right turn The walls rattle, it picks up speed Takes another sharp right Moves forwards on a downward slope Heading underground It slows, stops Jeremiah feels the cold press of the muzzle of a gun against the back of his head. He's ushered forwards and placed into a queue he can't see. As he wades through the dark, the wheels of the state turn. Workers in pressed suits file paper behind concrete walls, categorising... Filing stacks of paper, stacks of names from a filing cabinet to a pile of forms on a laminate office desk beside two dozen laminate office desks beside a water cooler that bubbles and gasps. The desk tremors as the form is stamped and processed. Green stamp means category three. Yellow stamp, category two. Red stamp, category one. The form's stamped and signed off, removed from the desk. Taken to the pile, to the filing cabinet, and repeat. Jeremiah places one foot in front of the other. As the queue inches forward, his hands taken from him, a face he can't see takes a red marker pen and draws a single line on the back of his hand. Category one. The queues, trisected, continues forward, down endless corridors, deeper underground. He's pushed into a quiet room, forced into a gurney. His left hand, right hand wrenched by his sides, straps round his waist, around his wrists. The hood's taken off his head, the lights are blinding. Strapped down, he struggles tries to fight but the restraints are too tight, his head's taken by force, the final straps strapped around his forehead, he keeps struggling, facing up, he can't move, staring up at a white gantry light, searing circles in his eyes, he keeps struggling until a sharp needle is pressed into the muscle of his arm, it hurts, it really hurts. And then the world folds inside itself. He free-falls through the bed, through the dark. He's falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling headfirst first into the ground. He blinks his eyes open. His hands and legs are free and he's muddy, clutching at the ground. He feels the unmistakable crunch of autumn. Leaves, mulch and mud, wet with fresh rain and glistening. Jeremiah stands to his feet and takes in what's around him. Trees, trees further than his eyes can take him and right in front of him one wide, twisted oak, gnarled and knotted in a kind of horrid beauty, a jagged wound on the left of its trunk. He walks forward, trying to find his way, some way out of the woods until he hits a tree, a wide, terrifying oak with a jagged wound on the left of its trunk. It's the same tree? The trunks shift tighter together. He moves faster forwards through the mud until he hits the same tree again. He runs forward, the woods close in, he dashes forward through rough leaves, scarred trees closing tighter. Jeremiah runs and runs and runs and runs, hits the same tree again, woods shifting tighter, hits the same tree again. Factory wheels turning tighter, shuffling like a puzzle of impossible pieces. Jeremiah runs faster and faster, running through twisted green, his ribcage heaving chest pulls tight, sweat pouring down his back, running through a green kaleidoscope, shifting fast, faster until his foot catches on a thick root and he flies head first forward into the trunk, the trunk of a tree, a wide thick trunk of twisted oak, He picks himself up and grabs the lowest branch, jutting out its side, clambers up, climbs higher and higher, hauling his body up until finally, finally he sees past the edge of the woods to a clearing. At the edge of the clearing, he sees a house, a house standing alone on the edge of a cliff, a house standing alone on the edge of a cliff, crumbling closer to the sea. He gets down the tree as fast as possible. He moves forwards through tight corridors of thick bark, keeping the house in his mind's eye, willing himself towards it. And before long, he makes it out, standing at the edge of an emerald clearing, tears of relief rolling down his cheeks. He walks towards the house, closer to its walls of scratched wood, echoes of blue paint, windows smeared opaque with filth. He knocks twice on the door, and it opens. An old man stands in the doorway. Deep-set lines carve his face, stark white stubble on his cheeks. His mouth's a cave of browning yellow. He wears a striped jumper and black gloves and stares into Jeremiah's eyes. His own, a deep sea blue. Who are you? He says. Sorry. Jeremiah replies. Where is this? I don't really know where I am. I was in a... I don't know where I was. I was in these woods over there and... And you couldn't get out. The man offers. Yeah. Ah, sorry. My head's pounding. It's okay. Come on. Don't just stand there, the old man says. Have some water. Sit down. See if I can find you a change of clothes. Jeremiah looks down at himself and realises his clothes are torn and muddy. The man turns back inside the house. Jeremiah follows him into a tight corridor. Faded paisley covers the walls, the floorboards broken and dirty. He follows the old man into the kitchen, books in every corner. A thin, oily layer of grime covers every surface. The tiles above the worktop cracked and falling, and it stinks. It smells like an animal died in here, or something. Sorry about the mess, the man says. Wasn't expecting guests. He opens a chipped cupboard. Grabs a glass, runs the tap and fills it with surprisingly clean water. Here, sit down. What's your name? Jeremiah. Nice to meet you, Jeremiah. I'm going to tell you a story. Jeremiah wants to argue, says he needs to go, but for some reason he can't. The words won't come out. He's stuck, stock, still. Opposite this man with oceans in his eyes a long time ago the old man says there was a sailor from an island far away whose waters were empty and Fields were dry. He set out with his crew Ten men in search of fresh bounty and new pastures. They journeyed for days rationing bread and water on the fifth day a terrible storm took hold. Wind and rain beating down upon the boat, with a violence this earth has never seen. Men were thrown overboard, dragged by the waves. Nine sunk. One survived. The sailor rowed his boat forwards, resigned to his fate, until he heard a crystalline note ringing through the air. Music sung so sweetly his eyes began to water, he looked up as land came into view through the mist to see another man, the most gorgeous man, sat amongst the rocks and singing to the sea. The sailor dug his oar into the blue and headed straight towards the rocks, desperate to hold the music, He reached the man, the man smiled wide, stared into his eyes and brought his lips towards the sailors. They fell in love, they lived happily for many months. The man living amongst the waves, bringing fresh fish every day for the sailor to cook in a perfect house overlooking the sea. But one day, The man asked the sailor to join him. A simple request. Drown your body and die for eternity. But the sailor said no. One day he would need to return to his people. His homeland. Not forever. Just once in a while. He hoped the man would understand. But the man became violent angry screaming ugly words he refused to let him go refused to surrender paradise he cursed him the man cursed the sailor tied his soul to the house tied the house to the cliff and the cliff to the sea so as the cliff slowly fell into the waves so did the house decay and crumble so did the sailor's body rot and fester. Suddenly, the old man stops talking and takes off his jumper, revealing leaking postules on his shoulders, gaping holes in his arms, a putrid, fleshy mass. The stench becomes unbearable. Flies swarm across his back. Maggots crawl inside him, disgusting, rusting spit and liquor spewing from his... he takes off his gloves, revealing a green rot spreading to the edge of his pitch black nails. I never got home, he says. And I'm sorry. I'm really very sorry. But there is only one way out for me. Looking Jeremiah dead in the eyes. I need to sacrifice another. Carve your body up. Melt you down piece by piece and offer the libation to the sea. The only way he'll let me go is if I send him someone else. Jeremiah tries to get up, run, but his legs won't move. He can't move. What's happening? He screams, he screams as loud as he can. Help me! Help me, please! Help me! The old man. Stares him down, his blue eyes piercing his soul. No one's going to save you. Be quiet. The second he utters those words, Jeremiah can't make a sound. It's like his tongue is nailed to the base of his mouth. He looks forward in wide-eyed terror, every sinew straining, his mind screaming itself hoarse as the old man lays out plastic sheeting underneath the chair, opens the nearest broken drawer and pulls out a clean carving knife. The old man plunges the knife into Jeremiah's inside, slashes the knife upwards. The pain reaches fever pitch as the old man disembowels him. His large intestine, small intestine, spilling out onto plastic sheeting. Veins collapsing flat, pooling on the floor. Jeremiah dies and the world turns white. He opens his eyes, hyperventilating in a concrete courtyard, the sun beating down. He looks down in a sweaty panic and finds his feet manacled to the floor. He looks across and his arms are chained too, his body spread-eagled. In front of him stand five bodies in military fatigues with a smooth stretch of skin where their face should be. The faceless soldiers raise their rifles and train them at Jeremiah. They take aim. Jeremiah begs, shouts, don't shoot, please don't shoot. They fire downwards, riddling his legs with bullets. Jeremiah screams in agony. It hurts so much as the bullets lacerate, obliterate the lower half of his body. The soldiers aim their rifles up, fire. Jeremiah screams, dies, and the world turns white. He opens his eyes, hyperventilating, mind burning up and finds himself in a bed of hot flesh caught between ridges and skin. He looks up to see two enormous eyes bearing down on him and realises he's trapped in the hand of a 30-foot giant. The giant squeezes tighter. Jeremiah cries as his ribcage cracks, sinews snap and buckle Blood backed up and fit to bursting, every pore sweating crimson, his kidneys cave in, his arteries implode, every bone shatters, and Jeremiah dies again, screaming as the world turns white. This happens again and again and again, his neck sawn in a rusty vice, the pain grows, his head teeters on a hinge of sticky flesh, the pain grows, he's pulled apart by four horsemen, the pain grows, he's boiled alive in a charcoal pot, the pain grows. He's immolated, impaled, infected and splayed, every time dying, every time waking somewhere new until he can't speak. The pain's unbearable, language breaks down, his only words a deep, violent scream as blood vessels burst inside his brain and the world turns white. But whilst Jeremiah dies a thousand times, his body shudders and heaves on a cold plastic bed. His bloods are taken, vitals recorded, as his brain goes into shock. Officials in surgical gowns and nitrile gloves measure quantities, prepare vials to take to the many rooms adjacent. One injection to send a soul into the horrors of their subconscious, hollow them out with forced hallucinations, traumatize their mind with unbearable pain and sculpt a tabula rasa. Then re-educate, re-integrate as a model citizen. A cauterized threat. Three floors up, Individuals sat at two dozen laminate office desks beside a water cooler that bubbles and gasps, file forms and process names as the queues trudge in and the beds fill up. This piece was directed by Jennifer Baxt with sound design by Helen Atkinson. Brought to you by ETT.